Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you very much for joining us one more time on the Value Nigeria podcast. Um, today is Saturday, the 17th day of the month of February 2024. And um, this is our first episode in the year. I hope it's been a brilliant start to the year for all our listeners. Thank you very much for joining us week in and week out. Um, we apologize for the non-regularity of our podcast so far in the year. It's only just because we've only want we've aimed to bring conversations worth listening. We we respect your time and we don't just want to bring um, any sort of conversation. So we hope that today's conversation will make up even for the time that we've been off the airways for. Um, there's been a lot of happening in the Nigerian in the Nigerian economic space generally, and hopefully we'll have an episode soon enough where we'll solely be discussing the macroeconomic um, picture. Uh, that the nation holds and what to expect even in 2024. Um, but our guest today is an investment professional. He's someone with a very interesting background, and I, I think I look forward to asking a few questions about that. Um, my guest today, um, by way of his education, he studied or he finished from the University of Birmingham, where he finished uh, with a master's degree even in engineering. So a very, very interesting background um, with a major in chemical engineering and with, um, you know, management as well. Um, it's interesting how someone with that background ended up even being the head of the investment arm of one of the leading um, pension managers, even in, in the country. And I hope that uh, we would learn even from how he transitioned from core engineering, even into core finance. Uh, my guest today is Mr. Atiku Audu. It's a pleasure to have you on the show this afternoon, sir. Hi, good afternoon. And good afternoon, everyone. Thank you for giving me the honor to appear on your show. <laughs> the pleasure is all ours. The pleasure is all ours. I remember reaching out to you and even having a conversation just to see how, you, if you wouldn't mind coming on the show, and you've been very receptive, very helpful, and very supportive. Thank you very much, sir. Um, we, we always like start getting to know our uh, guests a little bit further. So if you don't mind just sharing a little bit, maybe just about your educational and professional, and if you want to, your personal background, would appreciate that, sir. Sure. Um, I guess I'll let you lead the conversation, but I'll give a, few, a brief uh, outline. So, yes, I you know, finished from the well, secondary school in Potakot, uh, which is sort of south of Nigeria, um, many years ago. Uh, I was kind of like, you know, really, really interested in mathematics or anything that had to do with um, numbers, so to speak. So natural inclination when you're a science student back in the day, and if you seem to have a bit of a, a little knack for numbers or so, you study engineering. So I ventured into engineering. Um, I tried to give myself options, which is like you mentioned, I didn't do straight chemical engineering. I did chemical engineering with management. Finished from Birmingham University. Started practicing, actually. I practiced for about a year in different parts of the world. So I think after about a year, you know, I, I started to realize that, you know, the engineering I was doing was more or less um, far removed from numerical analysis, dealing with numbers, that sort of thing. I think that was maybe something that began to sort of bite at me in my spare time. I think the other thing was um, I wasn't necessarily so comfortable living so far away from the shores of home. I had done about six years or so abroad, and I think I wanted to taste what it was like working in corporate Nigeria after studying abroad, working in corporate UK, corporate America, and such like. 
So promptly resigned and moved back to Nigeria, did my NYSC. And sometimes I think it's by some strange twist of fate. I was in the, what, what you would call a, a supermarket one day and someone gave me a flyer. And the flyer was uh, a program or invitations for participation in a program that um, one of the tier one banks in Nigeria was hosting at the time. So I participated in a program, ended up, um, it was a competition, ended up winning. And then they, they offered me a job in their corporate affairs division. And I told them, no, I don't want that. I want something that had to do with numbers. Do they have an arm that invests in financial assets that deals with numbers and such like, because I something I used to do in my spare time. And they said, yes, they had a treasury arm and they gave me an opportunity there. And uh, that was how my transition from engineering to finance uh, began. So gradually from there, worked my way up gradually, um, changed um, jobs a few times and ended up um, where you are saying now currently, which is um, heading the investment arm of one of Nigeria's top uh, pension funds. I hope that's a broad summary, but uh, we can get into any details that you'd like me to share further. Perfect, perfect. Um, something struck me as you spoke. One of them is, you know, the 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 fact that you did the reverse jackpot which is, you know, today everybody's, mm-hmm. everybody's, you know, leaving the shores of the country, even to the greener, supposedly greener pastures elsewhere. And you did exactly yeah. the opposite. And the, the second thing is, you know, providence. Providence plays a huge role in our lives. There's no amount of, your life might have turned out, okay, well, I'm speaking just as an observer, but I just wonder how your life sure. might have turned out if you didn't get that flyer or if, those opportunities didn't come your way, which you had been preparing for. What are your thoughts about this? Yeah, great. So on the reverse jackpot thing that you said initially, so I think um, maybe it wasn't just a, maybe a straightforward decision. So initially at the time when I started working as an engineer, so you have a bit of spec, a lot of what I was doing at the time was just, you know, dabbling in financial markets and, you know, increasingly my, I say my passion was developed there, you, you know, so more and more as the days went by, you know, I kept telling myself that, okay, maybe engineering is not really my thing. Right? I really want to be, you know, really doing something that aligns with sort of my core passions, which is financial markets. So what gave me the confidence to say, okay, you know what, let me put pen to paper, resign and, you know, really face this thing squarely was um, when I began to delve, get some profits from my activities. So I think there was a particular week where I took a trading decision and I made as much as I earned in a month on my job. And I said, ah, this is uh, the signal for me to, you know, have the confidence to, you know, leave paid employment and, you know, go back to Nigeria and set something up. So I think that was, uh, you know, maybe a decision I think if I look back in hindsight, maybe I, I think I acted a bit too quickly. Actually, I probably give myself a bit more time to develop more of a track record rather than just taking a few trades and thinking that, you know, the world is now your oyster. Mm. So I think that's the first thing. And the second thing I agree with you definitely on, you know, when you say providence, right? So I moved back to Nigeria. I finished in YSC. I was now more or less job hunting. And, you know, that opportunity came, you know, so really and truly, you know, there's that element of faith, that, that element of divine providence um, I think in the things that we do uh, or whatever you want to call it yeah but yeah it wasn't it was an opportunity that came to my mind they came to my what's it called my hands when I wasn't necessarily 
looking out for it. I wanted something in finance. I wanted something in investments. I wanted something that had to do with what I was interested in within the Nigerian ecosystem. And sort of everything just intersected when somebody gave me a flyer. You know, so you know, I'm really grateful for that opportunity. Perfect. Um, one last question, just before we go into the serious uh, or the deep end of our discussion. Um, your your last name, or is that okay? Forgive me. Is your last name Audu or is it um, Atiku? Everybody keeps asking me that question. So when I even when I even when I spell my first name as my first name, people say, "Yeah, this is really your first name." I'm starting to think that people don't think I deserve to answer that first name. <laughs> you know? So yes, Atiku as my first name is spelled. Yes, Atiku is actually my first name, and I'll do my last name. Yes. Okay. okay. Correct. I was going to ask if yeah. if I was assuming Atiku was your last name, and I was going to ask if yeah related to the popular Atiku that we all know, sort of. <laughs> Yes, yeah, so not not by what's it called? Not by any immediate connections that I can make. No, and both of us. Uh, so his first name is Atiku, and my first name is Atiku. So it's uh, the connection is based. So if my I think if my last name was his last name, mm. then I think maybe the the connections might be closer. You know, but right now, um, I don't. They, they say we all came from Adam and Eve, so maybe there's a connection there. But right. outside of that, I don't have any. All right, perfect. readily available connections that I can draw from. <laughs> No problem at all. Um, I'll just dive right into the deep end of things. So, looking at the average Nigerian out there, um, the average Nigerian has a you know a, a job that pays a little bit, you know, just enough to to get them by the month. Um, most Nigerians, the the main part of their wealth is actually found in their pension fund. You know, the the first first savings that their employers and they themselves get themselves into and is invested over the long run for them. Why is it that the average Nigerian finds it difficult to build wealth aside from this first long term investment plan, which is their retirement savings? Yeah, good question. So say a couple of things. Maybe uh, the first will probably be like um, tie things to inflation in terms of building wealth, right? So. You build wealth, but generally, if you now look at, I think when I started, for instance, my career in the Nigerian financial services, I can remember, you know, the exchange rates at the time were about 120 naira, for instance, to $1, right? So even with a salary of 200,000 naira, for instance, you know, you were quote unquote balling. Mm-hmm. You know, but now, you know, from 130 naira, 120 naira, when I started to now, where it's 1,700 or so, you know, you know, how much, how much you saved would have taken quite a bit of decimation. So I think that's, you know, pretty much if I'd say the first challenge, which is actually finding that opportunity to really build wealth um, when you have inflation eroding a lot of the savings or efforts you've made over time. Maybe the second thing would be, you know, things that perhaps maybe people would say are meant to be part of a social infrastructure. Uh, maybe perhaps things we, I think in this part of the world, have to pay for. So, I mean, you know, I mean, you're based in the UK, you have the NHS, right? You know, you don't have to bother about health care. Uh, and you get really good health care, you know, pretty much free at the point of use, as the term is always coined. You know, over here, it's probably not the same. You know, actually, it's not the same, really. You know, you have to really, you know, sometimes put your hands in your pocket to sort out um, medical expenses. Um, if I look at, you know, power, you provide your own power, you provide your own water system, utilities, uh, many a time you also provide your own security. So 
maybe things that you know you might not necessarily um, bother too much with uh, if you are not in these climbs are things you use part of your you know productivity to generate and in so doing sometimes you can take a stab at your ability to build with that notwithstanding a lot of nigerians are still nigerians are quite resilient um are still you know able to quote unquote um rise above the challenges and you know build um what you'd call you know relatively good wealth um over time you know but you're quite right that doesn't seem to be the average um nigerian to use your term you know it tends to be more of the exception so I think these challenges, uh, maybe the top two, to my mind, is obviously inflation. And secondly, um, the fact that a lot of the uh, social infrastructure that you might not bat an eyelid for in different climes are things you have to consider here and deploy capital to. Um, so really, your disposable income is not. Uh, what do they say? Sometimes the, the take-home pay is not enough to take you home. <laughs> All right, perfect. Thank you very much for your perspectives on that. Um, now, you have a very unique vantage point, and that's because you've seen things from both sides of the coin. So you've been a retail investor yourself, um, and now you you manage funds professionally. So you, you've seen both sides. Um, I just want to know what are your lessons over the years? What does it take to manage funds? What, what are the traits that retail investors or individual investors or even institutional investors need to build up to be able to manage funds successfully and profitably? Oh, great. So I think the first maybe underlying philosophy from my personal experience, I think it's patience, right? So investment opportunities come and go. So the right time to buy and the right time to sell is not every day, not every week, not every month. Sometimes you have to actually wait weeks, months for an opportunity to fully form. That uh, patience, I think, sometimes is absent in the typical um, retail investor. And I think you can also validate that to investment at the professional level. It's something that, you know, everybody has to sort of uh, imbibe over time. So you look at a situation, for instance, COVID 2020, when 20 or 30 year bond yields were at 5%, you know, and, you know, long-term historical inflation in Nigeria is about 12 or 13%. You know, because, you know, you're in an environment where the outlets are few banks at that time. Sometimes we're not even taking money. They, you know, had more than enough cash to deal with. Interest rates were so low. Even though it didn't make, you know, maybe logical investment sense to buy a 20-year bond at the single-digit level, whereas inflation is double digits on average over the last 20 or 30 years. You know, you tend to start finding occasionally institutional investors having to do that. You know, and I would say perhaps maybe that is not divorced from the fact that, you know, once you're at a particular point waiting and waiting, it becomes difficult to justify waiting when you have so much cash to deploy. Mm. So sometimes it's a discipline that is, is easy to, to talk about and point out, but in reality, living it day to day, you know, might be challenging. I mean, today, those uh, 20 or 30 year bonds are, you know, 18, 17%. You know, but the question is, would you be willing to wait and just invest in short-dated instruments and realize that you're taking in the short term for maybe two, three, four years a bit of a hit in terms of the interest income you could be getting because you're waiting for the right opportunity? So I think patience, you know, is something that, you know, all investors definitely would benefit from. I think the second thing really is just risk management, right? So a lot of times... Um, 
if you make a, a bet that doesn't go right, I think cutting your losses early is something that, you know, I think a lot of people would benefit from if, you know, it's applied generally in my experience working with different people. Um, personally, I find, you know, it's something that, you know, we all could um, learn from. So when I meet different people who trade, for instance, the currency markets, like you mentioned, Forex, um, cryptocurrencies, uh, stocks now and again in their personal portfolios from time to time, one of the things that stands out is, ah, so you're still holding this thing after it has dropped 10, 20, 30, 40%. You know, so I think if, uh, and I made those mistakes myself personally, um, uh, in, in my early days as a, like you say, retail investor, I'd say learning to cut your losses early um, helps um, a great deal. I mean, those are two things I can really find. Just having the patience to wait um, is very important for the right opportunity. And whenever you take bets, um, if it doesn't play out the way you anticipate, um, having a the discipline to cut your losses early, I think if you can imbibe those two traits and you know make them sort of the center of your investment philosophy, I think you'll do very well in the long run. Absolutely, absolutely. Thank you very, very much. Thank you very much. Uh, you've talked a little bit about the retail investor, and um, one thing I have personally noticed, or one thing that I've noticed over the years, is that retail investors kind of uh, mystified about fixed income instruments. Um, maybe it's because of the, the the uphill task of raising a huge capital sum of money to participate in them. Maybe Or, or maybe it's just misinformation or maybe they're just not well-educated about those instruments. Uh, looking at your own background, you have a very rich history and a rich background even in fixed income. Um, from the story you shared of the, your tier, your journey into tier one, the tier one bank, and your journey into finance, uh, from your your vantage position, what do you think? What are the benefits that retail investors stand to uh, to get, even by you know looking into and investing in fixed income instruments? Why should they try to overcome their ignorance, even regarding that investment class? Oh, they should because the. Opportunities are quite compelling. So if I look at where, for instance, one-year treasury bills are trading now, even if I look at the secondary market, you're looking at yields of maybe 19, 20%. So if you have, I don't know, 10 million a year, you get an additional 2 million on top of your initial capital. So I think that's not, not a bad return. And so first of all, I would say the motivation to overcome ignorance would be that there are times when the fixed income market offers you decent opportunities. And I think we're in one of those such environments. So two, three years ago, one year yields were at one, two percent. So, you know, these days you're, I just mentioned 19, 20%. So there are times when the market gives you, um, some gold on a plate for you to, to, to enjoy. And I think, you know, that should be a good incentive. I think that's one. I think the second thing, we talked about patience before. So you know, sometimes if you're waiting for an opportunity in other markets that are, you know, maybe more familiar to the investment, to the retail investor, so, so things like maybe listed equities, and you think, okay, perhaps the stock you want to buy is maybe overvalued. So what do you do in the, in the interim between when, between, your, between now and when you think the stock will get to the price that you think is the right entry price. Uh, so you, you want to be earning some decent return there. And, you know, you can get that, you know, pretty much if, 
now and again when when you look at the fixed income markets. So it doesn't hurt to say, hey, I'm waiting for stock X to get a particular price. But between now and then, I'm getting 19% on my money. And when you know the opportunity strikes, I'll get out of the 19% and see if I can get uh, more bang for my buck by investing in, uh, for that example, case, you know, um, uh, in this particular stock. So two reasons just to summarize. Number one, occasionally there are decent opportunities to get high yields or relatively high yields. And then secondly, since investment a lot of times can be a waiting game, rather than being bored and coerced into action because of the boredom, you can be earning high yields whilst you wait. So I hope those two reasons are sufficient for retail investors to think boost their uh, in their familiarity with that as a class. All right, brilliant. Thank you very much, sir. Um, I'll, I'll just take you a little bit back and that, that's because when you answered the question about traits that investors need to uh, to build on to be successful even in, in their trading, um, you talked about patience and you talked about the discipline to cut one's losses um, you know, early. Um, just as a little bit of a plug, um, so retail investors will do well to follow our guest today, even on on um, LinkedIn, and that's because he drops nuggets all the time, little posts, um, posts that are quite regular, almost every other day, very short, less than three, four lines, and they make a lot of sense. I think it was those posts that actually drew your profile even to my attention and helped me to reach out to you. Um, those posts are very insightful. Thankful for dropping them from time to time. Um, I, I, I looked through your profile and I, I saw an article that you wrote some time ago. and It's titled The Room in the Elephant. And you discussed even this um, discipline to cut losses even in much more detail. I was just hoping you would go into much more detail or in, into further detail. I know you've shared a little bit about this. But do you mind just going into more detail as to why this discipline is really crucial. Maybe if you want to share one or two personal experiences on, you know, lessons you've learned yourself over time based on this. Okay, so I think, um, so there are no two situations in the market that are exactly alike. So I think a lot of times, for instance, if you see a particular chart pattern that happened five years ago and you think, oh, this same chart pattern that happened five years ago led to a strong bull run in the market. So I'm willing to take my bet that it would do the same thing now. Odds are that it will, but odds are also that perhaps maybe that might not be case, the case because you have a different set of participants now, a different set of uh, market players, different set of dynamics. There are no two particular situations that are exactly the same. You know, So you might have a, part, a chart pattern that suggests that things are going to go up, but at that particular point in time, maybe for whatever reason, a major fund decides to liquidate its assets in a particular holding, and that holding happens to be the one that uh, has the should I say chart pattern formation that seems to suggest a strong upside. And you know for, that might be the one time where you know things don't exactly pan out the way you anticipate. So because no two market scenarios are exactly the same. It's important to always have that consciousness that whatever play I'm making, you know, has the potential to go on a downside as well. So I think that's one. Then secondly, I think um, money is um, is quite an emotional thing. 
So I think there's this quote that I come across now and again, which is that the markets can remain irrational longer than you can remain solvent. I think it was um, an economist uh, that said that way back centuries ago. I think it was Maniac Keynes. So if the markets can, and I think that's true, right? If the markets can remain irrational longer than you can remain solvent, you probably don't want to be in a situation where your solvency is threatened. I think the most important thing in markets from time to time can be the ability to live another day, the ability to have another fighting hand. So if you lose that ability by a precipitous decimation of your capital because of a position you took, um, and you don't have the chance to fight another day. You don't have the chance to recoup your losses. You don't have the chance to, you know, have, you know, over the long term, a chance for heavily compounded gains. So I think one thing I always tell people is that there are, you know, five things that can happen to you in the market. And, you know, you have the chance to eliminate one. And if you have the chance to eliminate one, which one would it be? So I'd say you can make it one, number one, big loss. Number two, big profit. Number three, small loss. Number four, small profit. And number five, break even. So out of these five things, um, which one do you want to eliminate? As in, if you can have a chance to do that, you're promised a successful investment career. And obviously, by the time you eliminate out of those five things that can happen to you, the chance for a big loss, you're only left with four options, which is either you make a big profit, a small loss, a small profit, or you just break even. Once you have those, only other four things can happen to you when you invest. You stand to have a really good investment um, performance over time. But a situation where you give the market the opportunity to also give you a big loss, the chances are, you know, you might get lucky a few times, but, you know, your, what's it called, your your capital becomes um, at stake uh, when maybe things don't go as you expect. So I guess the the way I try to encourage people is to say, okay, three things. Number one, no one can really predict the future. The, the past can never be an exact replica of the future. Um, just because something is, Trading at a very low multiple doesn't necessarily mean the multiple can't go lower, mm-hmm. right? And just because you traded at that low multiple in the past uh, doesn't mean it can, because it traded there and then subsequently there was a bull run, doesn't mean the exact same thing will happen now. So that's one. You can't, the, the, there are no two market situations that are exactly alike. So that's one. Uh, and then secondly, irrationality, right? The markets, you know, people are quite emotional about money. So, People decide, oh, I bought this stock, it went down, now it's come back up to exactly where I bought it, so I'm exiting, I'm not waiting for any other thing to happen. And you think, ah, oh, no, but this is a cheap price, now hold on. And the person says, no, I'm just exiting. And you wonder why. You know, so that's just an example. So because of the psychological nature of the of people participating in the market, you know, irrationality sometimes happens. And in those kind of situations, you don't want your solvency to be threatened. I think that's the second point I'll make. Um, and the third point, I just, it's just the most important thing is living to fight another day, yeah. right? If you can always have the chance to take another stab at the market, you then begin to build experience, build confidence. You then always have enough capital at play, at play for a, yeah, not the next opportunity. So the markets will always be there. They'll always give you opportunities. What's important is you are 
sufficiently capitalized and solvent to keep taking advantage of those opportunities. A situation where you don't give yourself that chance by opening up the door to a huge loss because you don't cut losses early mm. and doesn't make for longevity in terms of your participation in the market. So I hope that covers it. It certainly does. It certainly does. Um, there's a follow-up question to that, and that's because you mentioned chart patterns. You talked about, you know, the technical, what people will call technical ana- analysis, even to invest in. I just wanted to pick your brains on this. What are your thoughts about technical ana- analysis versus fundamental analysis? Or it, 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 should it be a useful tool, even in the arsenal of the retail investor? Oh, absolutely, I think. I think technical analysis points to more than anything else, um, the behaviors of investors, particularly from a psychological standpoint. So fundamental analysis, I think, you, you know, is, is also a really solid um, toolkit. So I think both work. Um, I don't think one is necessarily better than the other. I think using both in, in the judgments you make, I think helps. So there are two, I think, key emotions that drive the markets, right? I think fear and greed. And the question now becomes, how do I ascertain effectively when there seems to be undue pessimism, as in excessive fear, or what's it called, um, excessive optimism, you, you know, when there's, you know, more or less excessive greed, so to speak, taking charge of the market. And I think analyzing what the charts are telling you, in other words, what price action is doing, I think more or less can point to, to that. Perhaps it may be a bit more effectively than just looking at financial ratios and uh, analyzing the sector that a particular instrument is in. So I think both are actually useful. I think where technical analysis has a bit of an edge is in just pointing out perhaps where you know, opportunities might be available to capitalize on um, psychological uh, behavior in the markets that might not necessarily be representative of where the price of a security should actually be. So I think that's the advantage that technical analysis gives. And I think retail investors would benefit from employing both in their investment philosophies Brilliant, brilliant. Thank you very much, sir. Thank you, sir. Um, I, I'm not going to let you go without, you know, asking you to take a stab even at the macroeconomic um, picture of the country, even at present. And uh, one more time, I'll make reference to those short and very concise and very educational posts that you put up on LinkedIn. Um, I, some weeks ago, you put up one when interest rates or the treasury bills, the returns went up to as high as 18, 19%. And you were like, well, um, you wrote a, a, a post where you talked about if you have the cash to build a house, that maybe now is not the time to do that. Maybe just put it in some fixed income. You know, you, you gave a very detailed analysis and I encourage people to go ahead and look at your profile on LinkedIn to read these very informative posts. But what do you think? How do you think the retail investor can shoot, you know, structure their portfolio looking at 2024 and that's because we are we are sort of balanced on the knife edge now we are seeing interest rates or we are seeing the central bank that is willing to raise or increase interest rates even to match if not at least matching but at least close to what inflation rates is at present we know the impact or we know the theoretical impact of what this 
may have even on the on equities on the stock markets. So what are your thoughts about the retail investors? How should retail investors think about structuring their portfolio going forwards even in 2024? Okay, yeah. So portfolio structure is always um you know a bit of a tricky one. What I would suggest um so I mean you said a lot of things, right? So I'd say whilst um it, you know a lot of things are going on in the macro space they obviously, I think it potentially calls for caution. But one can't just uh, be sitting on the sidelines and say, I'm cautious. You really want your money to be earning something decent. Um, I think historically, I don't think in my experience, we've seen yields this high. The last time yields were this high, if I remember correctly, was 2017 or 2016. So I think t got us higher 22%. Um, I think this year, we've seen 23.5% or so uh, as, a, as an auction. So potentially, I'd say record highs, right? So I think, you know, any well-meaning retail investor, you know, would do well to capitalize on what we're seeing in, you know, the treasury bill space, even on a short, short-term basis, 90, 180, 360 days, and use that to sort of um, give their portfolio a bit of a bang for the buck. The the thrust, you know, from I think the regulatory authorities is that inflation should come down to twenty one percent or so in the course of this year, uh, and they they seem quite determined to work towards that target. So, if that is the case, and you are able to successfully, you know, participate, for instance, in NTB auctions and get higher yields than that, you know, potentially that could be a, a really good trade for the retail investor. Uh, equities seem to be doing pretty well, you know, but the question then arises that is, I think we've had um, five or so consecutive years of positive performance so 2020, 21, 22, 23, 24 now, year to date. So I think at some point, investors are beginning to question themselves that how long can this rally last, particularly in the context of a rising yield environment. So where are dividend yields now for Nigerian stocks versus risk-free one-year instruments at 23%. So perhaps maybe the upside, you know, is not something that people are too excited about. And maybe, you know, the sense I seem to be getting more now is, you know, perhaps, you know, I could earn, you know, double digits, high double digits on my Naira if I play in the short end and more or less risk-free instruments. So I think that should, you know, potentially be a good um, outlet for capital deployment. Yes, I mentioned uh, something about the article on not buying a house, but buying uh, a bond. I got into a lot of hot water. I got a lot of phone calls as a, as a result of that. You know, I think I got a phone call yesterday as a result of that. So um, one thing a couple of people are telling me is that I didn't fully account for the capital appreciation of the asset uh, versus the capital appreciation of the bond. So I think um, that, that is something. And the second thing uh, someone mentioned to me that I should also consider is that rent escalations happen over time. So even though in the beginning, the bond coupons are way higher than the rents that you know somebody could you know, command from the property, over time, rent escalations happen and I should also factor that in. So I think maybe I'll take some time again to look at uh, the analysis again and, you know, perhaps write an updated post 
But I think if I look at just the next two, three years, you, you know, I'm still leaning towards the thoughts I shared, which is if, if you're making an investment two, three years, um, I think a house now versus, you know, a long dated bond, I still think, you know, you come out better, you know, with a long dated bond, you know, but if I'm looking at you holding a bond for the next 30 years, you know, who knows what, you know, property can do in 30 years time. I think in 2001, you know, someone told me that they bought land in Banana Island at a uh, cost of 11 millionaire. And this is 2024, and that land is now 1.2 billion. You know, so, you know, if I, if I could do that analysis versus, you know, holding a bond up until that time, perhaps, you know, you know it might give me pause for thought. So I think that's something I, I would, you know, like to revisit. But if it's um, analyzing the things I posted in respect of the next two, three years, I think I'm still convinced that, you know, investing in fixed income seems to be the preferred option. Perfect. Perfect. Thank you very much. It's been over half an hour of very engaging conversation. Um, the retail investor will do well to take lessons from what you've talked to, you know, what you've mentioned. You've talked about patience. You've talked about the discipline to cut one's losses. You've talked about, you know, paying attention even to fixed income and, you know, take paying attention even to the macroeconomic changes that are going on in the economy at present. Any final words or any final thoughts that you just want to leave with retail investors today, sir? Well, final thoughts. Um, I think a lot of the things we shared are quite topical. You know, I'd say um, final thoughts would be really just to keep. Um, I think, I think consistent education. I think is is crucial, and the avoidance of looking for the next hot tip. So, you know, sometimes people say, oh, what stuff should I buy? You know, um, what should I be doing with my portfolio and all of that? I think um, people ask less, what investment book should I read? Or um, how should I, or what training course should I go for to enhance my skills at um, stock selection or financial statement analysis? So I think placing a bit more of a premium on consistent education, like the questions of, hey, you know, what course would you recommend? What book would you recommend? As opposed to, uh, which stock is hot right now? I think, you know, that is something that, you know, perhaps potentially we should see more of. And that would, you know, give more value to the average retail investor over the long run than trying to make a quick buck off the run. If there are any final thoughts I would leave, I think that would be it. Absolutely, absolutely. However, do you mind sharing one or two books that have been impactful in your own journey and your own development? Or what do you have on your nightstand at present? What are you reading at present, sir? So I'm actually reading fiction at present. So I'm reading a book called uh, The Silent Patient. That, that has nothing to do with investing. It's more to do with um, psychotherapy. So don't, don't, don't listen to me on that one. <laughs> what else? One book that I think I found quite useful, um, I think it's called, I, I forgot the author, it's called The Little Book of Investing. And I think it pointed me um, in the direction of how, how to, I think, begin to sort of analyze listed securities, I think, in a more thoughtful manner than I did before I read that book. Um, I've forgotten the author, but that's one thing I recommend. And any of the books by uh, Benjamin Graham, I think I also um, decent, decent books to start with. And uh, there's no shortage of, I think, educational videos on the whole YouTube uh, 
front these days. I think those are also um, a good resource to start. And, you know, take it in bite size, take it uh, a bit by bit. And I think over time you'll, you'll begin to see that your knowledge sort of translates into, you know, better investment decisions over the long run. It's been a brilliant time having you on this podcast, sir. Thank you very, very much for your time this afternoon. Um, hopefully, we can do this again some other time, if you don't mind, if we can find some spare time on your schedule. I'm at your service. It's been an honor. Perfect.